Amen. Lord, you are indeed our everything. We do. We adore you. We worship you. We love you. We praise you. Lord, I do pray a special blessing on all the moms who are here this morning. We thank you for godly moms raising kids in a godly home, loving, serving, and ministering to them. We pray as we go to your word, Lord, you'd speak to us this morning. Not the words of men, but the word of God, delivered by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Please don't be too mad at me. We are not going to look at Revelation chapter 4 as much as you've been anticipating it. Now you get to anticipate it another week. Amen. But I really felt like it was important that we look at a message that really speaks about what a blessing it is to have a godly mom. Turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Now, the book of Titus was written to a young pastor by the name of Titus. And chapter 1 speaks of how to protect sound doctrine by raising up godly pastors. And, but then you get to chapter 2, and this was written to Titus, who was a pastor in a very ungodly city. And so he's encouraging him not only in how to protect sound doctrine, but how to practice sound doctrine. And so we're going to get some exhortation this morning And I'm going to focus mainly on the passage that speaks to wives, to women, wives, and mothers. But you're all going to get, all of us will be exhorted this morning because he speaks to older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and those who have jobs. Now, is anybody not qualified for one of those? All right. And so, uh, you know, as I was praying this week and, you know, God just put it in my heart that we need to take some time. And just be, I, I pray that the moms and the, the wives and all the women in our church would be encouraged, all of us would be exhorted, and that through this message, God would be glorified. And Revelation 4 will still be there next week. We might not be, we might be in heaven, but that'd be okay. Then we'd really know what the rapture was about, amen? All right, so I titled the message this morning, Behavior Becoming of Belief, The Practice of Sound Doctrine. Remember, he says, this is, now doctrine is just a word for teaching or truth. And so we need to take the truth of God's word and it needs to come out in, be, in our behavior. When it doesn't, there are consequences to those actions. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden, it's forbidden because it's bad, right? It brings great harm to us when we disobey God. So we're first going to see, and we're going to look on these a little more briefly, in the life of an older man, and then in the life of an older woman, and we'll define that. It just means a mom whose kids are grown up, okay? You're thinking, I didn't think I was old, I guess I am, right? In the life of a younger woman, and now this is where I want to spend most of our time this morning, and the exhortation is going to be to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be homemakers. Yes, the Bible does speak about being a homemaker, and that's a great thing. To be good and to be obedient. Then we'll see the, the exhortation to you know, have behavior that becomes belief in the life of a young man, and then finally in the lives of Christian servants or employees, which would all of us that have jobs, okay? So let's begin there in verse 1 of Titus chapter 2. And it says there, But as for you, and he's speaking to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Again, sound doctrine is biblical truth. So you take the things that you have learned, And you deliver sound doctrine to the people that God has given you care over. And then he gives them 
one of the most practical portions of Scripture as he speaks to all the different parts of the local body. And he begins by speaking first to the older men. Now it says there that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Now, older men. While he doesn't give us a definition for that necessarily, uh, I believe those are, you know, a, a young man is a, probably a, a man who is not yet married or newly married. An older man is a man who's been walking with the Lord for some time. You know, maybe he's at the age where now his kids are grown and he's starting to have grandchildren. So in that case, I guess that would make me an older man since I'm a grandpa. And he says to these older men, he has a clear exhortation to them that they're to be examples in the church. And he says first that they are to be sober. Now the word sober there certainly speaks of not being drunk, but really to be sober, he speaks, the word means to be calm and well-balanced, a steady person in contrast to the wildness and flightiness of youth. There's a steadfastness that, or a steadiness that results from sound doctrine and spiritual maturity. Have you ever noticed when you spend time with someone who's been walking with the Lord for a long time or has grown you know, to a place of deep spiritual maturity that they tend not to have a lot of low lows and high highs? They tend to be very steadfast. They tend to be very consistent in their walk with God. They're not blown off the track by a trial that comes along. And he's encouraging these older men to be those type of men, calm and well-balanced. Then he uses the word reverent. The word reverent is serious-minded, dignified, and respectable. An older, a spiritually mature man, not that he can't tell a joke and have fun, but he shouldn't be a clown. You know, he shouldn't be somebody that's just, easily to be mocked. It's all over the map. He needs to be somebody, again, have a good time, have fun, don't, no coarse jesting, you know, and you know, every word that comes out of his mouth ought to bring glory to the Lord. But he's one who commands respect, not just because of his age, but the way he lives his life. And there's an exhortation to all older men. They're to be respected. And you know, let me say this to the younger of us. Whatever happened to sir? Whatever happened to that? Or mister? you ever notice that's kind of gone from the English language? I think that was a bad idea. I think it's good for younger people to call people sir. I still do that. And they get mad at me sometimes like, dude, don't call me sir. I'm not that old. But, you know, I think that it's, it's respectful. And it's, it's a heart of reverence. And this is an exhortation to the body that an old man is to be worthy of being called sir because he lives a life that is reverent. He says they're after reverent, temperate. This means self-controlled. Again, well-balanced not, you know, up and down in his emotions and his, and his walk with the Lord. He doesn't get easily worked up about things. You know, that's not a sign of spiritual maturity if you can go from calm to angry in a nanosecond. That's not good. Amen? The sign of spiritual maturity is someone who, when we should be getting angry, is trusting in the Lord and finding peace in Him. That peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, the longer you walk with the Lord... You've seen things come and go, and you don't panic. And you know that this too shall pass. Isn't that true? You know, no matter what the trial is that we're going through right now, God knows, God's faithful, and God's going to bring us through it. Amen? And because of that, we should have a peace and a calmness in the midst of the storm. Then he, we, again, an older man should be able to look at a younger man and tell him, this is not the end of the world God's going to bring you through this. And I've been here, and I've seen it. 
And you know, we need older men in the church. Amen? We need those who've been walking with God, who have, are reverent, who are sober-minded, who are men who walk steadfastly. We need them in the body of Christ. And then it says there, sound in faith. Sound in faith. You know what? The word for faith there, it really speaks of a faith that's been tested and now can be trusted. He's walked the walk. He's been through the trials. He's seen God be faithful. It's been put to the test and he sees it to be true. He stepped out in faith and he's seen God come through. And then it says there, sound in love. Sound in love. Isn't there sometimes a, a way that people think old men are? And sometimes old men are, are portrayed as, you know, cynical, hard, and crotchety, right? Now he's an old man, right? And, you know, some old men are like that. Some young men are like that. But, you know, that should not be so in the body of Christ. We should not be cynical. We should not be murmurers and complainers. And we should not be arrogant and, well, back in my day, right? Get, get over it, all right? The reality is that an older man should be sound in love. Not, you know, come here, young man. This world's going to chew you up and spit you out. A reverent, a godly older man shares love and joy, not depression and hardness. He's a source of encouragement to younger men. Now, he may bring them a hard word, maybe even a rebuke at times, but it's always delivered in love. It's sound in love. And you know, as the body of Christ, we ought to take a concern about the lives of the people around us. And we ought to love people enough, if we are the older man, to minister to the younger man. Especially if that younger man maybe doesn't have a father nearby, or maybe doesn't have a father at all. And it's our, our calling to reach out to them, to love them, and to minister to them. You know, it's sweet to see an older person who, though they have been through great difficulty and and trials, still has a softness and a gentleness about them. A love for God and a love for others. It's a wonderful thing. Then finally it says of the older man, patience. The word patience there is hupomone. It means not striving. Everything doesn't have to be done in five minutes. Have you ever noticed how a young man, most of the time, is very impatient? Now, why's it taking so long, right? You're in the drive-thru. It's been three minutes. Come on, right? But an older man is patient. An older man is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's entered into God's rest. He's willing to wait upon the Lord. And again, he's one who's experienced God's grace, so he's learned to be patient. Again, as I said, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because I want to talk about the women now. So we see here that God has a, a calling on the older men in the church And God has a plan and design in how he wants to use them to minister to the younger men and to be an example to all men. Secondly, the older women. Now, these are women who have raised their children. And often when the children are out of the house, there can be one of two responses. Okay, now I can begin my life or I've lost, you know, my sphere of influence. What am I going to do now? But God has a plan. And we're going to see what God's plan is for older women. It's not to retire. You still have a great ministry to fulfill. And Christian families were new to this 
area, it was, it was Crete was the place. Have you ever heard of the term Cretan? You're a Cretan? That's not a good term, right? Right? It means, you know, somebody who's, it was a very depraved and immoral place. You're a Cretan, right? Well, that's where this church was. And this church needed godly older men and godly older women to serve as examples to the younger ones. And so he's speaking of the older women who are called to be a Christian example and a source of instruction among young wives and mothers. Older women were to bring biblical perspective to the younger generation and to nurture a godliness among the young. Now, how does he describe them? He uses the word reverent again. They that, in their behavior, portray holiness. They live a life consecrated to God, and they are unlike the world. Now, for a woman, I believe too, and this is certainly true for a man, but for a woman, the word reverent there, I also believe, speaks of the way they dress, their attitude, and their outward actions. But more important than all of that, it speaks of their inward character. One who pursues and walks in holiness. We need older women like that in the church today. Who young women can look at and see, this is how I should carry myself. This is the type of character that I should have. This is the kind of heart I should have. And this is the way that I should portray myself to the world in the way that I dress. Now, younger women, not, you know, I don't see it all often here, but we need to be very careful about the way we dress. Amen? When you get up in the morning, you're dressing for the Lord, right? How would you dress if the Lord were coming to dinner? Wear that. Amen? We don't need to be stumbling. We'll talk about that more when we get to younger women. Now, it says also of the older women, there's some traps they can fall into, especially now that there's more time on their hands. It says there, they're reverent in behavior, not slanderers. And I found it interesting that the word there for slander is diablos, not devils. You know, the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? He's the liar. He's the accuser. And so here he's saying, don't be a liar. Don't be an accuser. Don't be a slanderer. Satan is the father of lies, and older women were to not fall into the temptation that can come with idleness, to gossip, to slander, to make false accusations. It's been said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And I do believe, you know, it's obviously not in the Bible, but I think that's a true statement. You know, often when we're sitting around with nothing to do, temptation is greater. Amen? And that's why we need to put our hands to work and to be busy about it. It says next, not given to much wine. Another potential temptation for all of us, but especially for those who are idle, is to drink. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need spirits, we've got the Holy Spirit. Amen? And he's way better. No puking tomorrow, no hangovers. Amen? You don't do things outside of your mind. You walk in the center of his will instead. And so the exhortation to the older women is to be sober and to not be given to wine, but living lives set apart unto holiness, sanctified unto the Lord. And then it says there, teachers of good things. They're passing on godly wisdom, gained through experience to the next generation. Many have not seen not even one good example in their home lives growing up. You probably take testimonies and some of you would say, you know, I didn't grow up in the most godly home, but God brought this person into my life 
who really ministered to me and showed me a godly example. And so we're going to continue talking about the older women because we're now going to see the younger women. And this is going to be the main focus of the message this morning. We're going to spend most of our time. But these are the things that the older women are to be passing on to the younger women where it applies. So in the life of a younger woman, what has God called them to? It's the godly, spiritually mature women who are called by God to teach the younger women. It's been said that experience is the best teacher. It doesn't have to be our experience. We can learn from the experience of others. Amen? And that is if they are willing to share it. So seven things that young women are to do. Here's the first one. It says there that they admonish the young women, admonish is exhort, encourage, teach the young women to love their husbands. Now, loving your husband in this context means that you make your marriage a priority. It's not my job and my hobbies and my this, and then if I have time left over, my husband. It's not biblical marriage. The Bible tells us right here, That a wife is to love, and the word love there is agape. To selflessly love someone outside of herself more than herself, her husband. That's the exhortation to the young woman. To make the marriage the priority, second only to her relationship with Christ. I often wonder why some people are married. You know, I I have a full-time job, and some of my co-workers, they, they live in different states from their spouses. What is that? Well, you know, he's got a job in Chicago, and I'm here. I'm like, what? You know, that, what kind of marriage is that? You know, God has called us to be one flesh. Hard to be one flesh when you're 2,000 miles away. Amen? The encouragement here is that your marriage is the priority over your career, over your job. This is true for both spouses, by the way. The husband as well. That marriage is the priority. Teach the younger woman, younger women that second to the Lord, marriage is to be the priority. And again, in Crete... This is a city filled with self-absorbed, self-centered people, known to be filled, this house described, filled with liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you got to understand, marriages then were arranged. You know, I've been to India, and it's, I saw this happen. I was there, and the young man who was in pastoral training, we were, he said, hey, this is one of my first visits. He said, I said, what's going on? How are you doing? He said, I'm meeting my wife today. You're meeting your wife today. Was my soon-to-be wife. My parents picked her out. I'm meeting her today. This is Thursday. We're getting married on Saturday. I'm like, praise the Lord. <laughs> but you know what? Love is a choice. Amen? And what's interesting to me, and I won't go into this, but the divorce rate in India is like 5%, and here it's 50, where we choose. Maybe it might not be a bad idea to let godly parents choose. It might work out better. Amen? But there's, in this case, they had to choose to make their marriage a priority, to choose to love their husbands above their career, above their hobbies, above everything else, to make it a priority. The older women, some of whom may have had their husbands go to be with the Lord, All had endured difficult times, could speak from a position of both wisdom and experience. It could say to the younger women, I've been where you are, and God came through. Maybe you never experienced this, but often the first year of marriage can be very difficult. A lot of transition, 
you never, maybe you never lived with somebody before, and all of a sudden you're married, and your life changes. It's no, matter, no longer I and me. It's us and we on everything. And it's great to have someone who's been married for a length of time who can encourage you or disciple you or minister to you. So the older women were to admonish or to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to make their marriage the priority. And again, to realize that this life is short and to cherish their marriage while they can. Secondly, it says there, to love their children. Now, again with the children, to love their children means to make them a priority. Now, it's not hard to love my kids. If anything, I, if it's possible, I love them too much. Love more than my own soul. Die for them. And I think that's often our heart, but the admonishment here is to love our kids enough to make them a priority and to see loving and raising godly children as a calling and a ministry. Moms, when you gave birth to a child, you were called into the ministry of being a mom. And you're going to be in that ministry until you go to heaven. And it should be next to your intimate relationship with the Lord and your relationship with your husband is now being a mom. And it's a high calling. For the wife and mother, her home is to be her number one priority, her first place of ministry. The number one calling of a wife and mother is to love and minister to her husband and her children above her ministry in the church. Did Pastor Dave just say that? Yes. Before you minister to someone outside the home, you make sure you're ministering to people in the home first. Amen? That was pretty weak. Amen? Okay. thought everybody was going to sleep on me here. All right. Society may look down on the calling of being a loving wife and mother. What have you accomplished with your life? You should have your kids raised by strangers and go out and work 60 hours a week on a job that's going to perish, right? Now, if you're a working mom and you have to work, God bless you, and that's between you and the Lord, and I'm not, I'm not trying to attack that, okay? Please. But what I want to say is I want to encourage those who have made the choice and the sacrifice to make the calling of being a mom the number one priority in their life and say, I'm going to stay home with my kids. It means we might have to go without a second car. We might not get to go on vacation. We might miss out on a few of the physical things in this life, but my kids are going to be the priority. It's my number one ministry. And more important to me than anything else is that I love them, minister to them, and that my kids come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? I believe this. That there is no more strategic position of influence in the world than being a mom. Not being a teacher, not being a politician, not being any, a mom. God has given you a ministry that is full-time, and you are to pour your life into them. It's been said that hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Certainly not in the Bible, but I certainly believe there's some truth to that. Godly moms are more influential in their children's lives and the, uh, along with her father, of course, than anyone else. And ga- being a godly wife and mother impacts not only society, but eternity. The Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's no amount of earthly riches, no sense of worldly accomplishment that can compare to that. For a godly mom, nothing can compare to the joy of raising godly children. Amen? Now, it may be, that some of you have raised your kids and they're not walking with the Lord. But you have done the right thing by giving them the godly foundation and sharing with them the truth. 
Our kids have free will. They may choose to rebel. But we as parents are responsible before God, and it should be our heart and our passion to not only teach them the truth, but exemplify it before them in the way that we live. Amen? And they may walk away, and they may walk away for 30 years. But you know what? Often, it's in their time that God brings them to the end of themselves that they look back and remember the example that they had when they were growing up. And God's calling here is to love their children. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. And again, a virtuous wife and a godly mom is so valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And at the same time, there are few things as foolish as to neglect the God-ordained calling to be a loving wife and mother in order, in order to pursue things that are passing away. You know, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But it is really crazy to give up that which is eternal in pursuit of that which is temporal. Amen? And our kids are eternal. And it's a high calling. And I pray this as we would, my heart is that you would be encouraged today. There's no higher calling than to be a godly wife and mother. And it is something young, young women didn't grasp necessarily on their own. They had to be taught the truth by older, wiser, more spiritually mature women. It's wrong to be married and not make your husband a priority. And it's wrong to be a mother who doesn't make her children a priority. There really is no greater joy and satisfaction at the end of life than to know that you have walked with God and that you have been a godly wife and mother who loved her husband and who raised her kids in the ways of the Lord. To be a mom is an incredible blessing. I mean, I just was thinking about this. To have a child knit together by God in your womb. To give birth to a brand new life. To love, feed, care for, clothe, protect, Nurture this precious, precious little one from the day your child is born until adulthood. To watch them grow, to mend their wounds, to instruct and discipline them, and to love them unconditionally, even when they've blown it, and even after they've moved out and have kids of their own. Amen? Don't ever let the world convince you there's anything it has to offer as eternally significant as being a godly mom. A godly mom is a blessing. I have a godly mom, and I'm blessed. I, can't, I would not be the man I am today without my godly mom. That's a fact. And godly moms, be encouraged this morning. At the same time, I want to be sensitive. For those of you who are single or were unable to have children, you need to know that God has a special calling on your life as well. And God wants to use you to minister to younger women as well. God has a plan for you. And you know, being faithful to what God has called you to do, be it as a godly wife, a godly wife and mother, or one whose passions can be fully focused on the Lord. So be encouraged. So the first exhortation is, you know, to her husband, to love her husband, then to love her children. Then he says, he admonishes them to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. Is that a word that's used very much anymore? The word there means sober-minded or self-controlled, wise and prudent in their conduct, to live a disciplined life. You know, when we're undisciplined as parents, we need to be careful what we're modeling for our children. You can be a disciplined parent and have an undisciplined child, but if you're an undisciplined parent, you're, you know, the likelihood of them being undisciplined is very high. And he says to these young women that they need to be discreet. 
The older women were to admonish the younger women to live sober-minded, self-controlled, disciplined lives. Then he says, not only discreet, but the next word there is chaste. And that word is probably used less than discreet these days. The word chaste there means pure of mind, heart, and thought. Remember, they're living in a very godless place where immorality was all around them. Does that sound familiar? And in the midst of that, the exhortation for the older women is to admonish the younger women to live pure and holy lives. We live in a time today that the fashions are aimed at women living flirtatious and causing men to lust lives. And to have a godly woman who comes along and says, be chaste, be holy. A Christian wife is to be faithful to her husband in her might, in her mind, in her heart, and in her actions as well. She is to have purity in the way she dresses, in the words she speaks, and even in the thoughts that she entertains. Right? We need to think about what we allow to come into our minds. We need to have purity there. A woman of modesty who does not stumble men with her appearance nor flirt with her words. I'm going to share with you what I believe. Here's Pastor Dave's opinion. It's Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? Just my opinion. I know you didn't come for my opinions, so I don't give them to you often, but I'm going to give you one now. I do not believe that women should have male friends. Oh, Pastor Dave, come on, man. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have other couples that are friends. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in fellowship with people at church. I'm not saying that you can't interact with the opposite sex. What I'm saying is your friendships should not be with the opposite sex. Guess what? That's danger, danger, danger. Amen? I have a very close friend. He's may, he may be my best friend on this planet. And his wife won't let me be her friend on Facebook. And I said, praise the Lord. She said, all my friends are women. I'm not saying you have to do that. But I'm just saying, her conviction was, you know, my, you know I have couples who are friends, and certainly we, they hang out with us together, but her conviction was, you know, I'm not going to open the door to either the appearance of evil or flirtation or anything that is inappropriate. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be modest, and I'm going to be a woman who's chaste and a woman of purity, and I admire that. Most adulterous relationships start with a friendship. An inappropriate, you know, I have things that I, I won't go to lunch with a woman at work. I won't, when I have to ride with my boss who happens to be a woman, I make her take a separate car and meet me there. I won't get in an elevator alone with a woman. I mean, just little things where, you know why? Just have, be above reproach. Just say, you know what? I'm not even going to give the appearance of evil for 30 seconds. Why? Because it just, nothing good can come of it. So a woman of modesty, in appearance, in speech, in thoughts, honoring God, and being faithful to her husband. Now, I love this one. It says there, admonish them to be discreet, to be chaste, and to be homemakers. Really? You mean stay-at-home moms aren't second-class citizens in the eyes of God? The answer is absolutely not. Amen? I want, again, I want to encourage... Now, I know, look, let me make this very clear. I know that we live in a very expensive place to live, and often moms have to work outside the home, and my heart is not to make you feel like I'm coming down on you in any way. Please, okay? What I'm pointing to is the encouragement and the exhortation from older women to younger women in the word of God that being a full-time mom is a great thing, okay? 
Now, homemakers, the word there literally means workers in the home. You know, cleanliness and order of the home, the feeding of her family. These are priorities of a godly wife and mother. She is the one who truly makes a house into a home. You know, my wife and I early on moved a lot. And my wife has many gifts, but one of them is that, man, she makes wherever we live feel like home. She just has a gift. And I love that. You know, we live in a mobile home now, and you walk in, and you just feel like you're at home the second you walk in the door. And you know what? I love that. And that shows that she's caring for me, and she's caring for our children, making our house a home. And that's one of the things that they exhorted and encouraged to do. Now, I want to say this. It's not easy to raise a family, discipline the children, keep the house clean, and have dinner on the table. Is that hard sometimes, ladies? What's the answer? And drive them to soccer practice, and then go pick up the other kid, and then drive over here, and then go pick up this thing, get the dry cleaning, right? That can be difficult. And I'm not saying that, you know, you, you didn't put dinner on the table at 6.05, you know, sinner, right? No, no. What I'm trying to encourage you with is that God's encouragement to you is doing those things is honoring unto him. Doing those things brings glory unto him. As you minister to your family, and as you make that a priority. He admonishes the young, younger women to do these things. And he will reward those who are faithful. Now a mother's love is not only heard in her words, but it's seen in her actions. I believe a clean, comfortable home, a family that is fed and cared for. Again, it's often those things that really reflect the love of a mother. I remember as a kid, the things that my, my mom's probably forgotten, things that ministered to me. You know, I remember when I would go to football practice in the pouring down rain and I would, my dad would pick me up and I'd come home and I'd walk in the door. And my mom's got towels just out of the dryer. Here you go. And you smell chili on the table and chocolate chip cookies in the oven. You're like, oh, life is good, right? And you're thinking, my mom loves me. She may have forgotten those things, but I haven't. You know, went to the Little League field yesterday to watch my son umpire. And, you know, there's moms there watching their kids play baseball. You know, my mom was in the stands for all my games. For a kid, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Often, your kids go out and they look, where's mom? Where's dad? Are they watching? That ministers to your children. And then loving them unconditionally, even when they've blown it. I'm going to tell on myself. On my 16th birthday, I totaled a car. The ink was not dry on my driver's license yet, and I totaled a car. And I not only told the car, but I told the car going to a place where my dad told me not to go in my car. Whatever you do, son, do not go down to the boardwalk. Everybody races cars down there. You've got a fast car. Don't go down there. Do you know where the bowling alley is? It's right by the boardwalk, right? This is a 16-year-old mind. I had a friend who worked at the bowling alley. I wanted to show him my car, so I drove to the bowling alley. Was I sinning? What do you think? Yes. But I didn't go to the boardwalk. It's across the street. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's two levels at the bowling alley for the parking. And one of them's up here. And being, you know, that I've been driving an hour and a half. All my experience, right? I go to park the car. And I see the guy, friend of mine, who works at the bowling alley coming out. And he's bringing cases of Coke to take into the bowling alley. They put in the Coke machine. And I go to pull around to, park to, to see him. And, and the way it works is there's just enough room for cars to park. And then just enough room for you to squeeze through. And I turn on there, and, I, and all of a sudden, my car's not moving. I don't realize there's a chain hanging across because it's dark. 
I've gone over the chain of my front tires. My back tire is about this far off the ground. And I've got the gas on the floor. Right? Well, you know, at some point, a chain with a car on it breaks. (laughs) Tires hit the ground. And they're spinning. What happens to you? You start moving very quickly. Well, right about that time, the guy comes walking out from behind the van with the sodas. And I'm driving right at him. And I go to hit the brake, and I hit the gas because I'm a rookie, right? So now I have two choices. Run into my friend or drive off the top part of the, bo- of the bowling alley down to the bottom part of the parking garage, which is what happened. So I end up with my car upside down on top of two other cars, me sitting in it with my friend with the music playing, realizing this is not good. So then I have to call home and tell my parents where to come get me. Where are you? I'm at the bowling alley. Where's that? Across you from the boardwalk. Where did I tell you not to go, son? Nobody had to tell me, I told you not to go there. So I went home, and as a 16-year-old boy, I'm up in my room, and I'm weeping, and I remember my mom coming upstairs and telling me, son, it's just a car. It's okay. We love you. That's a big deal. That's what a godly mom does, amen? I mean, I, I beat myself up enough. Then nobody had to tell me, you went to the wrong place. And by the way, I didn't have a car for quite a while after that. Sin has consequences. But a godly mom cares for her kids, and it's more than just in her words, it's in her actions. It should be said of a godly mom that her desire is to make her house a home, to love her husband, to love her children. Then it says, admonish them to be good. To be good. What does that mean? The word there, good, can be translated kind. She doesn't rule over the house with a screaming voice and an iron fist. But as it says in Proverbs 31, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Pastor Dave, this is getting a little overwhelming here. So I need to have a clean house, a warm meal, and a kind heart. All at the same time? Sometimes trying to get the warm meal makes me have not such a kind heart because I'm running too fast. But this is the calling and the encouragement for a godly woman. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? I also believe good points to the fact that a godly wife and mother helps establish the difference between good and evil in the eyes of her children, both by what she teaches them and how she lives before them. Remember, called to be good in the midst of the evil Cretans, right? She was called to be good. They couldn't look at society and see good. They need to look at mom and see good. Okay, the world, I see how they act, but I see how mom acts, and that's different. And mom's the example I follow, not the world. And then finally, and this will be your favorite, admonish them to be obedient to their own husbands. I've done weddings where people want to take that out. Oh, obey, take that out. I'm not obeying anybody. Now, while a wife is to be busy at home, her husband is called to be the spiritual leader. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's really still weak. Amen? Amen? 
The man is called to be the spiritual leader in the household. Now often, let me just say this, often the woman feels like she has to be the spiritual leader because the husband won't step up. Guys, step up. Amen? Be the man. Be the spiritual leader in your household. Be the one who sets the example. Young women were to submit to their husbands and acknowledge and support his role as a leader in his home. It says this in Ephesians, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. Men love to underline that verse. I mean, where's that? I mean, underline that, highlight that, put a a star by it. You got to go down and read verse 25, guys. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Amen? Now, it's easy for a wife to submit to a husband who's willing to die for her. Amen? If a man is willing to lay down his life for his wife, then submit. Now, guys, we are called to submit to our Savior. Is that hard? I mean, we struggle in our flesh, but is it like, oh, he's not worthy of it? That's never the case. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. And he's worthy to be worshipped. Now, you don't worship your husband, but you submit to him. He's a sinner. You know it. You live with him, right? (laughs) But that being said, God doesn't say submit to your husband if he's perfect or none of us would be submitted to, right? Don't battle your husband for control. And guys, step up. And love and serve your wife. And wives, submit to your own husbands. And then it says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Their actions in the midst of a depraved and evil people should reflect that there is indeed something radically different about those who follow Christ and their belief indeed should be reflected in their behavior so much so that others want to know about the God you serve because of the marriage you have. Because the way you raise your kids. And again, your kids may not be perfect. But what kind of standard do you set for your kids? Do you set a holy and a godly standard? Shows how important it is for the older women to teach these things and for the younger women to learn them because if it is not grabbed a hold of, then what happens is the name of Christ is blasphemed. When Christians don't live a biblical and godly manner, the word of God may be blasphemed among unbelievers. And it's sad to see the way that the enemy has used families falling apart to tear down and attack the church. So that's, The exhortation to younger women. Now briefly, let's look at the last two because I don't think we should walk out of here without the young men being exhorted. Amen. It says, now in the life, belief becoming behavior in the life of a young man. You're going to notice that the list is a lot shorter for the young man. It actually is one verse. It says, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now it's going to go into details of what that means in the next couple of verses but to be sober-minded. Now, what's interesting, my grandson's name is Titus, and he was born on 2.6. So Titus 2.6 says, I exhort you, young men, that you live sober-minded. So there's my grandson's life verse right there, okay? And he's going to be encouraged with that. Now, the word likewise, linking the word in the same way after the same manner as there is a proper behavior becoming of belief among older men, older women, and younger women, so too there is among younger men. So he exhorts them. The word exhort means to implore, invoke, beseech. And to live sober-minded means to live a life of self-control. Now, are most young men you know self-controlled? What's the answer? 
Come on, we can say it out loud. No, they're not. I was a young man. I went to the boardwalk. Not self-controlled, right? Going outside of the Lord's will. Doing things their own way. Why? You know, they, they need to be taught they can control themselves, that they must control themselves, and it's not an option. And again, it seems like a short list after such a long list for for women, but for a young man, self-control is a big list all by itself. Amen? Self-control? Oh. The lesson for all young men was to be to learn to live carefully, to take life seriously, and again, that's easier said than done. Young men are quick to respond to what their flesh wants and slow to do what the Lord requires. Can't do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Young men tend to see themselves as invincible. All you got to do is go on YouTube and watch what young kids do on bikes and skateboards and motorcycles, and, right? They're crazy. They've lost their minds. I think, hey, let's jump off that house and see if we can land on the other one, right? You've lost your mind. That's a young man. I'm invincible, right? There's a lack of self-control. It produces an attitude that says, I can do whatever I want, and when it's all done, I'll be fine. I can respond to my fleshly passions and escape any potential consequences. I can blow off my responsibilities, and in the end, it'll all be okay. And the Word of God here is saying, not so much. You need to practice self-control. Fleshly passions, fleshly comfort, giving direction to most young men's lives, and the opposite of self-control is being out of control. So, how do we encourage the young men? How do we encourage ourselves? The only way we can live lives of self-control is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If we're walking in the flesh, there's going to be no self-control. We're going to be out of control. The only way we're going to have self-control is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So young men and all of us need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and again, have a godly example to follow. And then he says this, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. I believe here, while this can still apply to the young man, he's now speaking to Titus. And he's telling him that you're a young man yourself, and you need to be living a pattern for all of the young men to follow. They need a pattern to follow, not just in word, but in actions. And truth can both be caught taught and caught. And I believe it's more often caught than it is taught. You see it, you recognize it, and you think, that's an example I need to follow. And he's telling Titus, you be that example. An example as a teacher. He says they're in doctrine. Be an example in doctrine. What is doctrine? Again, it's just truth being proclaimed. Showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine. We are not to mix the truth with a little bit of anything. Amen? Amen? 90% of truth is whole lie. Amen? Sharing a little bit and holding something back. We're to add nothing to it, take nothing from it, mix nothing with it. Titus was a young man, but he was to show his complete faith in the word of God. Says there, reverence. Doctrine showing integrity in the word of God, the way he teaches it, mix it with nothing. Then the word is reverence. The word again, having a, a full appreciation of the seriousness of what he's doing. When you teach the word of God, you're a young man. Have reverence for God's word. Don't be a character. Don't be a joker. Don't mock. Teach the word of God. Show integrity in the way you teach it. Teach the whole counsel of God and teach it from a serious heart. Then he says incorruptibility. 
The word there is sincerity, and it means without wax. We don't have time to go into it, but remember we've talked about this, that there were those who would sell pieces of artwork, and if the artwork was imperfect, they would take wax and melt it into the cracks. So it would look really good. And then you would take that statue home and put it out in the sunlight, and the heat would hit it, and it would melt, and the whole thing would fall apart. And he's telling them, you be without wax. You don't be, you know, you don't pretend to be something you're not. You don't, be, be the man that you're called to be. Be the same man at, at, at home that you are in the pulpit. Be a man who is sincere. It says, there's sound, and then it says, there's sound speech that cannot be condemned. Show yourself to be a pattern of sound speech that cannot be contend. Healthy speech, speech that is pure and sound and graceful and edifying. The Bible says that no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. No filthiness, no foolish talking or coarse jesting. Often when I was a youth pastor, I would correct young people all the time for their foul mouths and they would act like it's no big deal. Let me tell you, a foul mouth in God's eyes, big deal. Amen? God doesn't want it. God doesn't desire it. And it's a reflection of what's in my heart. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And then it says that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Live this way so that your accusers will be embarrassed, having nothing to hold against you, having nothing of evil report concerning you. A person who is sound in his doctrine and holy in his life, no evil can be rightly alleged against him. Speech so pure, so serious, that those who would oppose you would be put to shame. And again, a pastor's speech should be such that he stands without rebuke. He's not to be a hypocrite in either word or actions. The same man in private that he is in in the pulpit. Finally, behavior becoming belief. I want to hit on this. We just have a few minutes in the actions of a Christian servant. This means at work. At work. It says there in verse 9, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Let me ask you a question. Do we need godly examples at work? Big time. The word here, the, uh, where it speaks of bond servants, the word there is doulos. And it means a willing slave. It means a slave or a servant by choice. Most of you don't work where you work because you have a gun to your head. You work because you choose to work there, right? And you, and you are to be a good, willing servant. Today, the best word, closest word to that in my mind would be an employee. The behavior of believers should be different from the world, even at work or in the most unbearable circumstances. And notice what it says there. Obedient to their own masters. The word obedient is used for a company of soldiers who is standing at attention, ready for marching orders. As soon as the, the sergeant or the captain or the lieutenant, whoever's over them, tells them what to do, it's an immediate response. At work, that should be our heart. Our boss comes and says, hey, Dave, I need you to do this. Ah, later, in a minute, when I feel like it. Right? Not in my job description. <laughs> that should never come out of the Christian's mouth by the way. Amen? We are to do our job as unto the Lord. If the Lord asks us to do it, we say, it's not in my job description. Go check out my, my, my job description. It's not in there. I'm not supposed to type anything. Get lost. Right? That's not the way the Christian should respond. Amen? We should be the best workers in the building that God might be glorified. 
says to be well-pleasing in all things. This should be the attitude. Christians should be the best workers, ready and willing to do whatever the boss asks, looking to please him. Now, the only time we shouldn't do that is when he tells you to do something that's contrary to the word of God. Amen? We're to obey God. We're not to obey man. We're to obey God rather than man. It's in Acts chapter 5. It says not answering back. We're not to be rebellious. We do always get the crummy jobs. How come he never gets them? Instead, whatever we're asked to do, we should do it joyfully. Amen? Watch what God will do. You watch what happens when you serve God at work and how you're going to have an opportunity to share with others about Jesus. Not pilfering. The word there, stealing from your boss. We might hear, we're a bunch of Christians in here. We don't steal from our boss. Now, the Cretans were evil and lazy and gluttonous and, you know, probably stole from their boss. But they needed a standard of behavior. But sadly, back then, billions were... And even today, so much is stolen from employers every year. And sometimes people make excuses. Well, they don't pay me enough, so I just take a little extra. Well, they owe me, right? I'm just taking what's rightfully mine. If you're not supposed to be paid it and you take it, you're stealing. Amen? So common in the ancient world, the word servant and thief became interchangeable because all servants stole for the most part. Years ago, I was visiting my, one of my, my cousins, and one of my uncles owned a company in Houston. And he was touring me through the facility. He was showing me the security. It was a big warehouse. And, and I said to him, I was talking to him about uh, just the company. And when I asked about the security, he said, the alarm system kept those thieves from the outside. He said, but I can't do anything about the ones on the inside. And then he went on to say, all employees steal. And I go, come on, all employees? He goes, well... They make long-distance phone calls from work. They make personal copies on the copier. They take home office supplies. They come in late or they leave early. That's stealing, amen? I'm getting paid to be there till 5. I leave at 10 till I'm stealing. And this is my unsaved uncle, by the way. He, oh, they all steal. And I'm thinking, boy, if he had one good Christian employee that broke that mold, it might open his eyes. Let's, let's be that. As Christians, it should not be so. We shouldn't take a paper clip without permission. If it's not ours, don't take it. But it says, but showing fidelity in all, showing all good fidelity. The word fidelity there means honesty. Christians should be completely honest and be able to be fully trusted with a pen or a million dollars. And then finally, it says that they adorn the doctrine of our Savior in all things. The word adorn is to shine beauty on, to take precious jewels and to arrange them to show their true beauty. We can show the true beauty of the gospel by the way we live. We often think we need better words to adorn the gospel. What we really need is better lives. Amen? Better behavior. Too often we think, if I, if I just learn how to turn that one argument around, I think more often, and again, be prepared to share the hope that lies within you with your words, but I believe let's live in such a way that people want to hear our words, and when they hear them, they respect them. I've had coworkers that say they're being persecuted for their faith. You've heard me say this before. They weren't being persecuted. They were just jerks. Self-righteous, arrogant jerks, didn't work hard, came in late, left early, had an attitude, and then they tell someone about Jesus and wonder why nobody wants to hear it. Guys, we blow our testimony often without ever opening our mouths, without ever saying anything. We blow it by our behavior. We can glorify God even in the most menial tasks. The other day I walked in here to study and there was a, a young man out mopping the floors out there on a Tuesday. Nobody's here. 
He's out mopping the floor. Maybe it was a Wednesday. I can't remember. He was mopping the floors. And I walked in and I just said, hey, bro, appreciate you doing that. He goes, I'm mopping the floors for Jesus. And I thought, hey, man, that guy gets it. Because he's doing it for the Lord, not for men. And that ought to be our heart when we go to work. Amen? So, in closing, behavior becoming a belief, the practice of sound doctrine. We saw it in the life of the older man. He's to be reverent and an example for the younger men. In the life of an older woman, she's to be an example to younger women. In the life of the younger women, in their love for their husbands, their love for their children, to be discreet, chaste, to be homemakers, to be good, to be obedient. In the life of a young man, to be under self-control. And the only way that's going to happen is if he's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in the actions of Christian servants and employees. With that being said, I would like for all the moms to please stand so I can pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for each of these women and their faithfulness to the calling you've placed upon their lives. And Lord, I pray in this coming year that your hand would be upon them, that you would continue to use them, even if they're ministering to grown children. Maybe they have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Lord. Or maybe they've just become a mom this year. Lord, may you bless them. May you give them the strength that they need and the wisdom, Father God, to to be a Christ-like example to their children. We thank you for them, Lord. May your blessings be upon them. May you be glorified in their lives. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.